Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Everyone, I am actually really excited to bring you this conversation today because it is our 200th episode. We've made it. I cannot believe that I've done 200 episodes and you guys have all stayed and listened, which is incredible. So I wanted as a really special treat today, I'm inviting a guest, a new friend of mine that we've connected with recently over social media from the other side of the world. And we are going to be talking about something I'm really passionate about, which is all about culture, the toxic culture that we've got that's coming more and more infiltrating our society, but particularly our children, uh, and with a specific spin on looking at books and uh, and how it's coming into literature. But look, who knows where this conversation will go, but I would love to welcome Rachel Reeves. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It is so nice to actually meet you. We were trying to work out how we actually met each other. And I think it's because one of my heroes, Ali Stuckey, reposted something of yours that you didn't even know she did. And that's how I discovered you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm glad we met for sure. This is exciting. I'm really glad to meet you. Let's just start off before we get to know you a little bit. Um, I found your Instagram handle. And so I want to say this right at the start so everyone can go along, give you a follow. And it's called, well, you've got a few Instagram handles, but the one that we've been communicating on is write books for kids with the number four. Yeah, write books for kids. Yes. So guys, you have got to go and follow. Even if you are not a parent, this is like an account that you're going to want to follow. But before we go there, what part of the world do you live in? Where are you right now? Uh, We live on the East Coast, so we're in the state of Virginia, and so our time right now, it's 8.20 a.m., and so for you, it's what? Is it 10.20? (laughs) 10.20. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we are on the East Coast, but we're originally from California. We live, my husband and I were native Californians, born and um, raised there, and then when about four years ago, we decided to move to a small farm in Virginia. So coast to coast. Yeah. Okay. So you went from one end to the other. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cause I'm on the East coast as well of Australia. So we're both on yeah. the East coast. We have that in yeah. common. How mm-hmm. close are you then to, to water? Like- um, you know, we could be, well, we live on the Potomac River, so, but that's not necessarily, if you tell that to someone in California, they're like, no, an ocean. Um, so uh, not far. I mean, I would say two hours or so, two and a half hours. It's not far. Um, we have beautiful Virginia Beach. We have, we have lots of really, really lovely um, places that you can visit if, you know, oceans are your deal. It's funny because we lived, like I said, 15 minutes from the ocean in California our whole lives and my husband would go to the beach we would go to the beach a lot in like high school and stuff but once we were adults we just didn't make it down to the beach very often it was really weird you tell people that here and they think why wouldn't you visit the beach all the time but yeah when it's in your backyard it's like eh, it's the beach you know <laughs> Yeah. Not, it's not like that here because we live near the Gold Coast. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Gold Coast. Yeah. It's a very popular spot here. 
Um, and so we would live, because we kind of live in between Gold Coast and Brisbane. So we're about 45 yeah. minutes drive from the beach, but we're always at the beach. Like we're yeah. everyone that lives on the Gold Coast, big, big beach goers. Um, yeah. What's your weather like right now? You're in summer, we're in winter. So we're in summer and it on the East Coast where we live in Virginia, it's humid. It's not as humid as some states in, in the United States, but um, it's definitely humid. Like I wake up in the morning and my windows are covered with, you know, dew. Oh, it's really, yeah. you know, my windows are sweating. It's pretty humid. Um, and it'll be like that until probably the middle of September. And then all of a sudden you walk out one morning and the humidity has gone and autumn has happened. So it's not horrible. Certainly not as bad as, you know, the heat in certain states and the humidity in some Southern states, but we definitely have humidity right now where you walk outside and you stay outside for you know, any mm. amount of time you're Too glowing, hot. you're sweating. Yeah. We're used to that in Australia, especially yeah. where we live, where we live is like that. So mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay. Well, my name's Rachel and I live on the East coast as on a small farm with my husband and our three kids. We mm -hmm. have a uh, currently 14, 11, and seven-year-old. And um, we have a teeny little property where we, you know, have chickens and ducks and sheep and whatnot. Um, and I homeschool our girls. We have uh, pretty much for the whole time. Um, and uh, we, we love it out here. And so one of the things that I really am passionate about is culture and the news mm -hmm. and learning about politics and the way our government is run in our country. I think that was born out of my love for history and learning about history. That's always been something I've been interested in. And so after, um, when COVID hit, I started being even more interested in what was happening in our country, um, how the news media was portraying events and politicians and elections. And I started really, you know, paying close attention to what was the, the, the narrative uh, that the mainstream media was producing and distributing. And then um, about a year ago, I actually think it's been pretty much on, on the dot a year, um, I started noticing some stuff that was happening in our county with, you know, just really interesting things in the school district because mm -hmm. uh, we live in Loudoun County and it was, a, it was in the news quite a bit um, in Virginia for some stuff that was happening in our public schools. And I started posting about it on my personal account. And, and then I started posting about like news headlines and stuff that was happening. And people really started getting interested and messaging me. We need more of this. Tell us about this. What do you think about this? Give us your opinion on this, this topic or this event happening, you know, in DC. And I felt this pull to start a separate you know, my, my personal account was a lot of <laughs> farm pictures, pictures mm. of me and the kids or what mm. have you. Started something um, more news focused, focused on sharing headlines, sharing things that were happening, not just in America, but world events. Yes. National topics. Um, and I started this little account called Here Are the Headlines, sharing daily thoughts and snippets from the news. And that really seemed to be something that people uh, were benefiting from. Mm. People that felt overwhelmed by just you know, going 
on online or watching mm -hmm. cable news. It was a place where people could go and get snippets of the, the news mm -hmm. and then leave. And so it's taken off and born out of that, I made some friends and we started a book account yes. called Write Books for Kids. And that was really born out of all of the stuff we're seeing you know, by virtue of looking at the news, looking at what's happening in our schools in America, um, the debates between parents, teachers, school boards, the federal government, the Department of Education, teachers unions, and the stuff that's being infused into curriculum, yes. uh, curriculum in different schools, and then also what's being promoted by teachers and librarians. Yes. And uh, we just thought this is getting out of hand we need to promote alternatives to hmm. what we're seeing. And that's where that Instagram yeah. account went out of. So what kinds of things were you starting to see? Because I know we're definitely seeing it in movies and I think it's starting, you know, in the entertainment industry, it's getting more obvious. Right. Like everyone knows what's happened with Disney. I've podcasted right. on that. They are outright the, the agenda, agenda that they're bringing in. Uh, I know we, there are families that have been walking out of Buzz Lightyear's story, a movie yeah. that just came out. But what was it that you were seeing specifically like in literature or through the education system? Yeah, I think what I had been seeing slowly, you know, over the past five to seven years was kind of the entrance of the gender ideology yeah. into books, children's, young children's literature, definitely YA, middle school literature. And, but it was, it was starting slowly. Um, I remember even five, no, more like seven years ago, I posted about a drag queen story hour in the town we lived in, in California. And when I posted about it, you know, people kind of gave the, oh, stop being so dramatic. That's mm. just a one-off type of thing. Don't worry about it. But if you were paying attention, you would realize that that's how these things start. They start yep. slow at first and they kind of get a foothold in different areas. And then they speed up really, really, really quick. And I think that's what we saw with the election of Joe Biden with a completely new um, administration that is very friendly towards mm -hmm. um, the acceptance of the LGBTQIA plus um, group and whatever it is that they are promoting. So a completely inclusive view of that movement. Mm -hmm. And if you are gonna follow that, if you are going to say we are of course gender inclusive, of course we are promoting equity and equality for all people, all groups and in all ways that can really only lead one place. And then you are going to be unable to say, okay, but this is a, you know, we're, we're creating a curriculum for fourth and fifth and sixth graders. We, we're not sure we think that this book containing, you know, positive messages about transgender children is appropriate. Yes. You can't argue against um, an administration or um, politicians in your specific area who are saying, but we need to have equity and inclusion for all. This is, this is appropriate. We need to support all of these different um, people groups. And so what we started seeing after what I started observing after Biden was elected in, um, about a year and a half ago was just an onslaught of books hitting shelves in independent bookstores, mm -hmm. um, 
big box bookstores, school libraries, public libraries, especially, um, and within schools that just contained what I feel is extremely inappropriate content for children. Yeah. And what I know many parents feel is just out, out, mm -hmm. out of bounds. And then we started seeing the proliferation of the, this involvement of drag queen shows mm -hmm. in schools, in public, where they're considered family friendly, put on by different cities, endorsed by different um, public groups and, um, you know, different mm. county politicians. And, and then we started seeing this groundswell of parents who are coming to their school board meetings going, this content in our curriculums, I mean, we're not even talking yet about the CRT in classrooms and some of the other objectionable content mm. in curriculums, but just literature. You had parents coming forward and very clearly saying, let me read to you the text of these books that you're providing and you're requiring my student to read or that are that's in their school libraries. And they weren't even allowed to read the content. It was that offensive. And yet children have access to this yeah. in the name of equity, inclusion, diversity. And um, it's yeah. exploding now. Now it's everywhere. And, and I talk about this a lot on my podcast um, because I think we've got a generation that are being raised to believe that, well, that's that, who am I to tell someone else how to right. live and it's tolerance right. and it's compassion, especially, you know, like Christian young people and Christian right. families that they want to be loving, they want to be kind. Um, and so I think that's where now we're having, it's very divisive and obviously yeah. they're trying to uh, push this ideology in the young in the children because if you can get the children then it only takes one generation and it changes the whole society which is completely what they're trying to do so right. I know my son used to read the do you do you have Captain Underpants series oh I don't personally have it but I know people who have read yeah. it yeah my son read it and I remember this was all starting to come in at the time so he's 16 yeah. now so he was probably like nine or ten at the time and I remember by the end the last book he said to me mom I can't remember which character it was but he goes I think that character's gay and mm -hmm. the character didn't start off that way in the beginning but by right. the end and this was only what six or so years ago that that's starting right. to, you know and this is why I really wanted to connect with you love your Instagram account because I have parents coming to me all the time and I'm, I'm a teacher as well by trade of all sorts of ages going, what do, what do I give my kids to read? And your Instagram, everyone needs to follow it because you are Thank giving you. so many options. You're, you're calling out that I like that you don't just call out the, the, the bad stuff, but you're calling right. that out, but you're giving other options. Right. Which is right. really and Well, and what I was going to say is it's not just, I think that the the lie that's being perpetuated and shared by so many people in the media is that all of these parents who are upset about the content in classrooms um, and in public libraries, it's all a bunch of zealous, conservative, Christian, right-wing nut jobs. And it's wow. not. I have plenty of people who I talk with on a pretty regular basis um, who are who would consider themselves liberals um, who would consider themselves, some of them not even Christians. I have plenty of people message me, hey, I'm secular, mm -hmm. I'm not a believer, but I'm looking for good content for my kids. This is not just a conservative 
issue. Um, This is parents being concerned and questioning. I have parents who say to me, I'm totally fine if my child is homosexual or I, I am, you know, pro LGBTQ uh, lifestyle rights, but I don't need my four-year-old reading this content right now. This is not suitable for children. Their brains are not ready for these discussions. So I think that it's actually this movement of talking about the inappropriate content that's being um, put forward as beneficial for children. It's, it's for everybody. This is a conversation that not just us crazy Christians are having. (laughs) So we're, we're finding, yeah, we're really making friends with people, uh, you know, across the aisle who we might not, we have a common cause right now. Parents are seeing, okay, wait, I'm totally all for inclusivity, but I don't want my kids reading about, you know, um, transgender youth at, at, you know, six or seven years old when they're forming their ideas about the world and who they are. So it's really creating strange bedfellows, quite honestly. (laughs) You put up a post today that I loved um, that uh, it was from Penguin Kids books about Mm -hmm. uh, they're pushing these activist authors. Yes. All about climate. Yeah. 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 Which I've just done a whole series on the climate. I know I listened to it. It was great. Yeah, it was great. More coming. <laughs> well, I just, it, it's not surprising. I mean, people have been talking about how the world is ending in five years and they've been doing this for like 40 years. So yeah. this is not new longer than 40 years. So the world was supposed to end dozens of times by now. And um, so the, that movement, while I'm not arguing against the claim that things are happening to our climate. Not at all. What I'm saying is it is a movement that is predicated on fear and there is, it's run, it's adrenaline inducing, and we are trying to grab hold of these kids and make them into little mini activists. And there's so many of these books in the libraries and in bookstores, I'll go with my girls. And it's just like, I'm a baby activist, or I go to marches with mommy for climate change or for pride. And it's, it's so obviously trying to teach children that this is the way you should be. You should be picking up these mantles so early. This is trying to grab these children and it is fear-based and children's brains are not ready at, mm. you know, at these young ages, you tell my nine or 10 year old that the world is ending. If we don't pass some large piece of climate legislation, you know, in Biden's Biden's first term and that the world's going to explode and we're all going to, you know, go up in a blaze of glory, she's going to have nightmares for weeks. And yet we are telling children now is the time. If we don't do it now, yep, you're in danger and your children are in danger. And maybe you shouldn't have kids because that's going to be bad for the climate. Um, it's inappropriate. This is not what children need. This is not a burden that they need to carry. And yet we have yep. um, a whole publishing industry that's totally fine with trying to breed little baby activists. Yeah, you're exactly right. And the fear, um, I haven't released that episode yet, but by the time this one comes out, people would have heard it. But there's a organisation here called Mission Australia and every couple of years they survey 
the particularly around the mental health of young people and children. And the latest one that they've just released has is talking about how the number one thing that they're stressed about is the climate. Yeah. And yeah. Like putting or and and then one of the other things was about the injustices in society, which again oh, a lot yeah. of them are perceived injustices. Um, yeah. And so we're putting so much fear into children and it is, I, I, I'm just loving hearing you be so strong on your stance. Like it, right. it needs to stop. It needs to be called out. So can you think of any examples of books that you've called out recently? And then we'll get into some of the other good recommendations because oh, you've wow. got loads. I mean, I call out, there's so many books it's, and what's walk into a target. Do you guys have target? In yeah, we do. What? Yeah. Okay. Walk into a Target and during, I mean, any time, and an entire, an entire wing of my store, at least in Virginia, hmm. during the month of June, obviously, a whole huge space was Pride, and yeah. then over in the book area, one whole side of a bookshelf was Pride, and then on the other side is just normal kids' books. But even within those normal kids' books, what parents aren't realizing is, like you said with your son with Captain Underpants, in many of these book series that parents started with, you know, say eight, nine, ten years ago, um, all of a sudden by book six or five in these series, they're introducing, these authors are jumping onto this bandwagon and they're introducing transgender, gender non-binary uh, gender fluid characters for these children. And they've got kids as young as eight, nine, 10 reading these different book series. And it's happening in more and more of the book series where parents will read it and go, wait, what? Like this wasn't, I was not told that this was in it. Well, it wasn't in it. You were okay giving your kids that book until book four. And then they just slide it on in there. So, I mean, this is happening in so many of the different series. You've got the Rick Reardon books. Parents were kind of caught off guard with that. And then all of a sudden you start hearing, wait, that's what that's in. I love those books, you know? So you've got, you've got different books like that. And then every, it feels like every week I'm seeing new books, especially in the YA. I think that that's really where I'm watching a big push. Um, yes. Where these children who are 13, 14, 15, I've got a daughter in that age range. They're hungry for good literature. They want good literature, but they have never, for the most part, been introduced to classic literature. So they are reading books at a much lower grade level than they're capable of. Mm -hmm. And so they're just consuming this stuff. It's like candy. And I'm looking at the books on the YA shelf at my local Barnes and Noble and they'll have, you know, books about, you know, two boys that meet a camp and fall in love or a girl who's trying to find out her, her identity. And then she decides that she's, you know, gay, but maybe not gay. Maybe she's bisexual. And so this is just what's happening all the time in our books. And it's so sad because if you just allowed children the opportunity to read books of, you know, quality, mm. they would, they might struggle at first because that's not a whole lot of what's being offered in modern day children's literature, mm -hmm. but they would benefit so much from it. I think that they wouldn't even know 
it wouldn't be recognizable to them because we have dumbed down children's literature and taken for granted how much our children are capable of understanding and um, how rich good books can be and how it can fill children with inspiration, Mm. um, fortitude, courage, and bravery. We're just giving them syrupy kind of, the word I'm looking for, fluff, you know, whatever (laughs) serves our current our current um, society's current ideas of what is okay and what should be accepted. And that's scary because if we're doing that now, where does it go from here? You know, what are we going to be promoting in children's literature in five or 10 years? No one would have, no one would have thought 10 or 15 years ago that our bookshelves at local libraries would be filled with what they're being filled with, but they are now what's, what's on the horizon. That's right. And it's happening so fast. And if we don't do something about it and say something can be active, I'm, I mean, I'm surprised at how many parents that maybe you talk to are aware of what their children are reading. I don't, I don't know that a lot of parents here are really aware of what yep. their kids are reading or that they check the books, but I think it's at the point where we have to now. Yeah. I don't think that they are aware a lot of the time. Um, because we trust our local libraries. We have mm-hmm for many decades trusted our public schools to kind of be gatekeepers for what comes in and what goes out. And I think that parents are starting to wake up and go, oh, no, wait, that's my job. I cannot, what I believe I want my child to ingest is not what Mm. possibly the public librarian thinks is okay, or the school administrator or the school board at our local public school parents are going, no, this is my job. And it's going to take some time. I'm going to have to investigate. I'm going to have to find Instagram accounts. I'm going to have to find trustworthy friends in my community that I can say, have you read this? What do you think? Mm -hmm. Um, It's our job to do that. We cannot count on the school to do it anymore. No. So give us some of your recommendations. I noticed on your Instagram account, and this is why I keep sending everyone back there because it's so good in your highlighted little circle stories. That's it. Top, I literally yeah. wrote down all the guys, these are all the areas that you can click on. And there's past information that Rachel's put up there where you can have a look at, you can pick whatever category. Um, you can go for teens, book lists, audio books, the nope. I like the nope one. Uh, nope. Don't <laughs> don't do <laughs> don't touch. Early readers, um, bedtime, books for mom, ancient history, Christian, picture books, history, chapter books, medieval, graphic novel, novels, Shakespeare, poetry. And it just went on and on. I kept swiping going, oh, my goodness. So yeah. there's a lot in there. But you're particularly, I've noticed that you did a little series that I really loved uh, where you were talking about kids reading Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, I did a um I did a, what I'm going to try and start doing a little bit more in the future too, is um, putting together mini book collections for people. So if they say, I want to learn more about this topic, they can quickly go and say, perfect, here's six books that I can start with. We did this for um, medieval literature mm-hmm. um, because lots of homeschoolers are, they do a, a unit study on medieval literature or Right now I'm prepping our homeschool to study ancient literature um, or the ancient in history, ancient times in history. So studying ancient Egypt, 
ancient Greece, ancient Rome, ancient Asia. And so I'm going to put together books for that because you can really, I mean, there are so many quality books out there. And so what I try and do is every day add to these different collections. So if someone's going, gosh, I really need, I need great recommendations for books for my 15 year old. There's a place for that on here. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to add to it every day, a little bit in each of the categories so that people can come and feel comfortable, feel safe looking at these books and knowing that when they come, that if they don't have time to pre-read them, yeah. They know they're handing their child something where all of a sudden there's not, you know, a inappropriate content that they wouldn't feel comfortable presenting to their child at this time. Yeah. So that's my hope. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's a little community building quickly. Oh, I honestly, I wish my kids were a little bit younger <laughs> so that I could, well, yeah. my kids are all, well, <laughs> My daughter was never a reader. I was always, that always frustrated me. Um, yeah. and in fact, I'll talk about that in a minute because you've got some stuff on reluctant readers that I also love. Uh, yeah. But where are you sourcing your books from? Because some of the titles, the good thing is these days we can get on the internet, I guess, and grab a book yeah. from anywhere. So even though you're in America and we're in Australia, but some of these, uh, like the medieval or even some of the Shakespeare kids book, I've never seen them before. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that is by virtue of, um, not by virtue of me going to school to teach. I, I went to school to become a teacher, mm -hmm. um, but that not necessarily because of that, that didn't necessarily expose me to a lot of great literature. I just think mm -hmm. my drive to want to be around children and teach kids. Um, and then for the last basically 20 years, being inside libraries and bookstores, being especially within the past decade, homeschooling, when you're in that community, it's really all that homeschoolers talk about are books. So <laughs> when you're around a lot of other moms that rely on good literature to teach their children, it's inevitable. You're going to get random book lists from everybody and you're going to hear, oh my gosh, that book worked for me. I loved that book in uh, when we were studying, you know, uh, the pioneers in America, or I love this book to study the presidents or our constitution or to study the middle ages. You just get a wealth of recommendations. And then you're always at bookstores. You're always in used bookstores, kind of going through, I'm going to a used bookstore with my kids today. We're just always going through titles and you get familiar with quality authors yeah. and you learn which ones are just going to literally provide a treasure after the next, after the next, after the next. They just constantly put out great work. You become really familiar with the time periods that you love when books were written and the genres you enjoy and the authors that just never let you down. And then you also become familiar with what you are able to detect really quickly. That's not going to be good. I know that publishing house, or I know that author, or I know someone who has worked with that author before. Mm -hmm. And so you just kind of become familiar with it after it's like with anything, anything that you're passionate about over time, yeah. it just becomes, you know, second nature. True. And for those that don't have time, they just go to you and you've done the homework yeah. for all of them. And that's fun. I love it. I could sit and talk about books all day. 
So yeah, it's a so joy. So tell me about how you get, uh, how can we get a reluctant reader reading? Like if the thought of handing my kids Shakespeare, for example. Right. So I guess there's two questions there, reluctant late readers. And then how do you help them broaden their horizons on what to read? Like, do you force them to read certain things like you're right. reading this? I would say for the reluctant reader, because I've had one where she would rather listen to an audiobook or, um, mm-hmm. you know, read a graphic novel as opposed to mm-hmm. what we would consider a traditional novel. I think I had to keep in mind a couple of things that, first of all, that just because she is a reluctant reader doesn't mean she always will be. Mm-hmm. Um, so not to get, you know, troubled by that. Um, and then look for creative ways to infuse literature into her life. Um, in the meantime, so we were really, really big on audiobooks with our kids. We still are. They listen to audiobooks every single day. And their audiobooks, I think, sometimes get a bad rap because people yeah. assume it's not actually reading. But there have been many studies done that have shown the, the many benefits of aud- auditory learning, especially for a, a child like my daughter, who is an auditory learner, um, it's just a different type of reading. So mm-hmm. we present and encourage audiobooks all the time. And then I think for a lot of reluctant readers, it's not that they don't like reading. It's that it, the idea of picking up the book, sitting down and stopping um, is not necessarily their first idea of what they want to do. So I try and do with my reluctant reader when she was, we would just do tons of read aloud because she wouldn't mind me reading aloud. In fact, she loved it. She would draw during it or build Legos or do some kind of art project. And it really worked. So she was getting all of the literature that her sisters were. It was just in a different uh, mode. Um, and then I think I never forced my kids to read um, ever. I encourage it. I, I surround them with books. Our whole house is filled with books. Mm-hmm. Um, I bring books to them to answer questions. I refer them to dictionaries when we're looking up words or when we're thinking about a topic instead of, oh, go look it up on the web. It's go find an encyclopedia or something like that. Um, but what I do, what I do encourage during our school year is, um, you know, there will be a half hour or 45 minutes where I've picked books that have to do with our studies and you're required to read uh, a couple chapters of that during that time every day. And then the rest of the time you can do with the time, what you'd like. Mm -hmm. And so it's never a, you have to read. Why aren't you reading? What's wrong with you? Sit down, read. It's more of a, Hey, we're learning about uh, the pyramids in ancient Egypt. Um, Here's a book that I checked out from the library that I think my find is interesting. Why don't you read for a little while? And then report back to me what you learned. And in that way, it's less of a uh, obligatory, like, mm-hmm. oh, I, my mom is always saying I don't read enough. Maybe I should read more and feeling bad about themselves. But it's proactive. It's involving them in our school, learning what we're taking in. And they are playing a part in that. And they're able to narrate back to me what they learned Um and, you know, that's, that's what I would recommend. Definitely don't shame the child for not reading um, and celebrate the ways they do enjoy literature. If they mm-hmm. enjoy being read aloud to go all in on that, read aloud, and then maybe have them sit with you and ask them to read one of the paragraphs while you're reading um, trade off paragraphs, or maybe uh, buy them all the audiobooks that they want and let them listen to those. So, you know, you got to get creative. 
Uh, not every child is going to pop out and want to sit for three days straight and read, you know, every Charles Dickens novel. That's just not realistic, but every child, if presented with great stories, wonderful literature, will enjoy it in some capacity. Yeah, no, that that's great. I've never really kind of probably thought so much about the audio books, but also you're very passionate about it too. And so it sounds like that is quite contagious. Like, oh, we're going to go and visit a secondhand bookstore today. Oh yeah, I was excited about doing that with you. So oh, they love it, and we listen to an audio book on the way, and then we listen to an audio book on the way home. And you know, sometimes they're like, "Can we just listen to music?" But once we get it going, they love it. And then I think just encouraging their interests. My one daughter is really, she's an artist. She loves graphic novels. She loves comic books. Mm -hmm. She always has. Um, She loves picture books with great illustrations. If Mm -hmm. I bring home a picture book and the illustrations are, eh, you know, it's, it's make or break for me too (laughs) with the illustrations, Mm -hmm. but more so for her, you know, if she has a picture book that I brought home, that's an excellent book and it has excellent illustrations. Yeah. We'll read it a lot and then she'll imitate the pictures in her own drawings. So you really have to kind of hone in on what it is they love. If they love books about natural disasters, find the books about natural disasters. If they love books about World War II, find all the books about World War II. Get them going because I think uh, reading is a lot like other interests where you're not always sure where to start, but once you get going and you get into it, yeah. then it gets the ball rolling I and you just yeah. yeah. So many things that you've said, all I keep thinking is, oh, that's not taught in schools anymore. That's not taught in schools anymore. You know, even um, we just had our federal election here. So we've just got a new prime minister. And I did a podcast on how our voting system works and how to vote. And it's one of my most listened to, which is so funny to me, because yeah. people were saying, we don't learn that in school. We don't right. learn we don't learn so many of these basics in school anymore, but what we are learning is a whole heap of ideology and how right. to be tolerant. And, you know, um, like you, you mentioned CRT before, which is the critical race theory. Um, yep. So I love, I, I just, I actually think homeschooling is going to get more and more popular. I'd, it oh, might yeah. already be in America, Australia. Australia, it's always been a little bit like, oh, they're kind of like the weird kind of funny kids if you're homeschooled. Oh, but yeah. it's changing. Oh, it's like that in America too. But oh, COVID really, no, not, I don't think so. Not as much anymore. I think that COVID opened a lot of people's eyes yeah. about yes. what was happening in schools. And even without the discussion about ideology, like the, um, the woke propaganda that's being infused into curriculum, even if you took that away and the discussion about the presence of CRT in classrooms or the gender ideology, even if you stripped all that away, parents after what they saw during COVID, I think they would still be very disappointed with the results of what public school is providing for our children. We, on average in our country, you know, each child her head is offered by our federal government. It's approximately ten to fifteen thousand dollars a child per year. Um, that money follows that child into the public school, and that money is spent to educate that child. And yet, we have some of the most dismal mm. academic scores oh. uh, internationally. And within our own country, the graduation rate is dropping. The literacy rate is in the toilet. It's really bad. And yet we're spending 
thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, depending on what state you're in, it can be over 15,000, it can be up to $20,000 a child a year to educate them. And the results are just, yeah, just so disappointing. Whereas these parents are going, wait a second. Okay. If I get in a, if I homeschool or if I join a micro school or a homeschool pod, or I join a charter school, my child not necessarily the charter school, but with homeschooling, I think I spend, you know, on a really expensive year when I really want to get some good curriculum, I spend per child, gosh, maybe 300 or $400 a yeah. year. And these children are being failed by our public school system. They are getting 10 grand a year over that per child. And yet they're just being sent out after graduation if they graduate mm-hmm. with a lack of math readiness, yep. literacy skills, understanding of the world they're being sent into, no civic responsibility, very little work ethic on the whole. Of course, there's exceptions, but it's just really sad to watch. And so um, I think COVID opened a lot of parents' eyes. They went, wait a second, this is what they're learning in school. This is what's happening. Um, they go to school for seven hours. And then they have to do homework after that as a second grader, like what's going on? What is, what's happening within the school during those seven hours? So I think that it was an eye opener. And so homeschooling here is blowing up and the idea of expanding school choice in different um, states is really taking off. So parents will be able to have a choice about what they do, private, public, homeschool, homeschool pod, micro school. Do you come up with your, and I know we're about to finish because I don't, I know you've got to go out with your girls. Um, do you <laughs> like, do you come up with your own curriculum or do you use some online program that's already done? I, I, every year is a little different. I have some years just stuck to my own understanding of what I wanted to teach them, you know, uh, language arts, math, and history being kind of the focus and going, all right, this next year, I really want to study the middle ages with my girls. And so we're going to read these 25 books. We're going to do our math. We're going to, um, you know, do these different activities to bolster the literature we're reading. And then other years I have, um, relied more on different curriculum offered by, you know, outsourcing it. There is such a wealth of curriculum online that parents have access to. Um, I've never taught them math myself. We use a math curriculum. For the last several years, we've used a great language arts curriculum. Um, I tend to write my own history curriculum just because I really, really like it. And when, when someone says I write my own curriculum, I know that people who don't homeschool think like, what? What do you, that's crazy. That's crazy. But our curriculum as homeschoolers does not look like the standard um, public school curriculum that you'll click on online and see, you know, like hundreds of state standards. It's not like that. Um, it's yeah, it's yeah. much more simple. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, with my daughter going into high school, mm. we're outsourcing her science because she needs to have a certain amount of lab sciences before she graduates. My friend teaches her French. I teach her history and language arts and, um, you know, and his, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a year by year thing. You just kind of reinvent yourself every year. And it's really exciting. I know that it can seem intimidating, but when you see how much you can teach your child in a fraction of the time that they would spend indoors in a classroom. Yes. 
it's wonderful. You realize how much more they can learn just by being out in the world and in nature and meeting new people of all ages. And um, it's really, it's a gift. It is wonderful. And it's not as overwhelming as people think it is. It's really not. <laughs> you guys, that's a really good takeaway for anyone listening that maybe yeah. thought about it, is not yeah. happy with that, what they know their children are being taught, yeah. is seeing the, the toxic culture coming into our education system. I mean, don't even get me started on, in Australia, they've just made consent education compulsory. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. Yep. Yep. So that's being really interesting watching that play out. Um, yeah. But it has been such a pleasure to talk to you. You are so engaging and wise and articulate. And um, that was really inspiring. And like I said, anyone listening, you need to make sure you go along. You can follow Rachel, like I said before, either on Write Books for Kids with the number four or come along to uh, Girl Next Door podcast because I'll put the links up as well when this episode airs. But also here are the headlines which I actually do like following you on that too. Um, and then you've got another one, which I think follows more of your home life. Uh, oh, that's my, uh, yeah, that's the one it's, I started on. That was really uh -huh. all I was on Instagram for. Arabella Farm, that's <laughs> our farm account. It's funny how that was where I started. And then all of a sudden it was like, mm, we're going to go in this direction. I don't know if everybody who's on my site looking at our farm pictures wants my opinion about you know, what's happening in Washington, DC. So. <laughs> so, so there's something for everybody. Um, right, right. <laughs> so thank you for coming along. I really appreciate it. I'm really glad that we uh, met and, um, yeah. and I look forward to watching your journey because it is really inspiring. And I, everyone I know, when they say to me, I don't know what my kids should be reading. I'm like, oh, I've got a really good account for you. Jump oh, there and connect you. With Rachel. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. And for joining us for our two, my 200th episode. Yes. Happy 200th. Happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. I'm not 200, but. Yeah, right, right. You're podcasting, kind of. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, we've been going for two years. So it's amazing. That's, so, great. That's great. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Pleasure.